Welcome to Practical Christian Living. God inspired it. He breathed it to them, and then it was given to us. The Bible says in Psalms that God preserved His Word from generation to generation, meaning that His Word was given, and then God preserved it to us so that you and I can have confidence that what we have in the pages of the Bible is true. God's Word is alive and active, and when we dig into it with a hungry heart, it speaks new truth into our lives over and over again. We can never come to a point where we've learned all we can from God's Word because its wisdom is unending. Don't go looking for something new and unheard of. Instead, stay true to the only Word that is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. Here's Robert Furrow with part two of our teaching out of 2 Timothy chapter 3. The emergent church today denies the power of the Word of God, but it's very religious. It's a form of godliness. You have the emotion of religion, but it denies the very power of God, power to change lives, power to radically move where someone needs it. And then it says, from such people, turn away. Get away from people like that. The last thing that you need are people that say that they are following Christ who are not really following him. The Bible says that bad morals, bad company corrupts good morals. You want to surround yourself with people who love God. You want to be equally yoked at every turn that you can be equally yoked. That will spur you on into a closer commitment to Christ. It goes on to say in verse 6, For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captive of gullible women loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, and learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Uh, again, that's like today. In their culture, uh, women were very vulnerable for various reasons in their culture. Uh, today, people are learning, always learning, and never coming to the knowledge of the truth as well. And then in verse 8, it compares it. Now, as Janus and Jambres were resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapproved concerning the faith. These are the two guys that, that opposed Moses. You remember that when Moses went before Pharaoh, and brought the plagues to try to get Moses to let the people of Israel leave. That, you know, he turned a, the staff into a snake and the magicians did the same. Uh, turned the river into blood and the magicians did the same. Uh, that he, they made frogs come out and the magicians did the same. They made flies come out and the magicians did the same. By the way, he should have fired the magicians. When you have a, a plague of frogs and they go, we can do that and they make more frogs. <laughs> we really want your power to remove frogs, not to make more frogs. But they finally came to the point where they couldn't do mimic God anymore. They finally came to the point where their power was short. That's religion. That's dead religion. There's a certain point where dead religion can mimic what God does. There are certain fulfillments that dead religion can do. But it comes to a point like these two where you can no longer uh, copy what God does when God reaches down into a life and radically transforms someone. 
When you enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ and you are, your life is changed because of that. He goes on to say here in verse nine, but they will progress no further for their folly will be manifest to all as theirs was also. Sooner or later, the folly of these who oppose the gospel, the folly of those who come up with new doctrines, new ideas, is going to be exposed. It's interesting when you think about just the past few years. There were a lot of new doctrines and weird doctrines that hit during the 60s. There were a lot of weird new doctrines that hit during the 70s. Remember, for those of you that are Christians in the 70s, do you remember the whole discipleship movement? There was a huge discipleship movement that you needed to have somebody discipling you and you needed to be discipling somebody. And that it was a kind of like, it wasn't, it wasn't biblical because the Bible tells us that we are disciples of Jesus. We make disciples today, but you guys will be happy to know this. You're not disciples of Robert Furrow because that would be really sad. It'd be really, really, really sad. But you are disciples of Jesus Christ. You're his disciples. You sit at his feet. You learn from him. You grow from him. Well, that doctrine came and went. That doctrine went through several times over the past 20 years or 25, 30 years. There have been doctrines of demon possession among Christians that have come and gone. Do you remember the Toronto blessing? That was a while ago. Uh, what was it? Has it been 20 years now or something? Probably it's been that long. The, the Toronto blessing was a group of people that all of a sudden decided for whatever reason, they said this was a move of God, that God wanted people to act like animals in worship. And I'm not making this up. It really happened. So during worship, they would act like dogs. They would act like elephants. They would act like uh, chimpanzees. They would roar like a lion. They would, uh, and it, you could still go on YouTube and watch it if you want to. It is bizarre, about as bizarre as it can be. And then they said, this is God that made us do it. Well, sooner or later, the folly of all of those things becomes evident because no one's doing it today. But people are still preaching the true word of God. At the same time that the, the weirdnesses in the animal, making animal sound movement was going on, there were other churches that were just teaching the word of God. Those churches are still teaching the word of God today while all of these other weird, strange doctrines have become evident that they are weird and strange. I heard a guy, when I was like 18 years old, I heard a message and the guy told a story in the message. He said he was in the hospital, came near death. While he was in the hospital, all of a sudden he heard sandals coming down the hallway. And he thought, that's odd. Nurses don't wear sandals. Flip, flop, flip, flop down the hallway. And then Jesus came around the corner and walked in the room, sat down on the edge of the bed and told him, I've got something new that I want to give you for the people today. And so now he had a new message that he was giving. And he gave his new message. And by the way, the message wasn't all that impressive, all right? But at 18 years old, I knew enough already to know this is whack. First of all, I question, I'm pretty skeptical about things. And when somebody tells me I was in the hospital and Jesus came up to me, a little beard and sandal on, I always go, I don't believe it. Generally, because I'm pretty skeptical. Would he do that? Could he do that? If God, if Jesus decided that he wanted to walk into your hospital room, could he do that? I guess he could. Yeah. I don't know why he would do it. There's a few scriptures that come to my mind that make me think maybe he wouldn't do it. But nevertheless, who are we going to tell God can't do it? But why is he going to do it? And is he going to come to bring you a new doctrine? Is Jesus going to go, you know, 2000, I've been thinking for 2,000 years, I should have told him this when I was there. 
So I just want to kind of show up now, tell you what I didn't do right back then so you can go out and correct it. Well, what did Paul say in Galatians chapter one? If anybody comes to you teaching you anything other than what you have already heard, let them be accursed. So if somebody says, I was out in the, the woods and I found these gold plates and this angel appeared to me and told me this new revelation, don't believe them. If somebody says, listen, uh, God spoke to me and I now have the power to write scripture and I'm now adding to the word of God through a magazine or cartoons that I'm going to give you on, on Saturday morning, don't believe them or anything else. Because sooner or later, these things will be revealed as not being true. He goes on to say in verse 9, but they will progress no further. For their folly is manifest to all, as theirs also was. But you have carefully followed my doctrine, my life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, and perseverance, persecutions and afflictions, which happened to me in Antioch and Iconium and Lystrum. What persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord has delivered me. Paul says, but you, Timothy, have carefully followed the things that I have brought to you. He encouraged him on this in the last chapter as well, that he would stay true to the things that Paul had brought him. And for you and me, it's that we would stay true to the word of God, that we don't get distracted by somebody that had a visit by Jesus in the hospital or by some kind of weird thing that they believe that God, another one was the, um, the drunk by the Holy Spirit, the laughing in the spirit thing. You guys remember that? They, uh, there was another one that came up here not long ago. I think it was in Penn, started in Pensacola, Florida. There were a group of people that all of a sudden started laughing in the service. And it kind of went on and on and on. Everybody started laughing. And if you want to watch it, I don't usually don't tell people to go watch something on YouTube, but you can go to YouTube and type in laughing in the spirit and buckle your seatbelt because it's about as bizarre as it gets. And, and, and the guy said, you know, I'm the Holy Ghost bartender. And this is a move of the Spirit. And the Spirit is out here getting you guys drunk. And they would call it being drunk in the Spirit. And they'd stumble around and act drunk in a church service. But the Bible says that if you are filled with the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. If you're going to be weird, if you want to stumble around and act like you're drunk and laugh, and if you want to do that, do it. Just don't blame God for it. That weird things happen doesn't surprise me. You know, about 5% of the population is weird anyway. It's just the way it is. Weird things are going to happen. But don't blame God for those kind of weirdnesses. Now he goes on after saying, do these things that I've given you to do and persecutions. Persecutions were going to arise for those who were in Ephesus where Timothy was. And so he says in verse 12, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. He, he gives them a promise. He gives us a promise. Everyone who decides to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. You're going to have persecution. You're going to have tribulation. Jesus even said, rejoice when you are persecuted for my name's sake. He goes on to say then in verse 13, but evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. The closer we get to the return of Jesus, evil men will grow worse and worse. This verse reminds me of the end of the book of Revelation. Let those who are filthy be more filthy still, and let those who are righteous be more righteous still. It reminds me of the end of the book of Daniel. 
Those who are godly are going to become more godly, it says, and those who are wicked are going to become more wicked. There's a polarizing effect happening as we march on the last days where things are becoming more and more wicked. By the way, there's a group of people that believe that we are living in the kingdom age right now. There's also a group of people called all-millennialists or, or um, post-millennialists that believe that the world's going to get better and 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 better until Jesus comes back again. Now, as we look at the world today, do you think it's getting better and better and better? And by the way, if we're living in the millennium, isn't this just sad? If this is the millennium that we're living in, it really is sad. There are certain preterists that will teach the same thing, that things are kind of just getting better and better and better. No, it says here, evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse. Two types of men, evil men and imposters. An evil man doesn't always know that he's lying. He's just evil. An imposter knows that he's lying. He knows that he's an imposter. And it says they'll grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. There are some that are deceiving and they know that they're deceiving. There are others who are deceived and they are deceiving because they are themselves deceived. So again, in the last days, perilous times are going to come. All these people are living these things and we're living in a time where there's going to be persecution and evil men are going to grow worse, worse and worse. And there's going to be more and more bizarre things that are being taught. And that's why we have to hang on to the word of God. So he says to Timothy, but you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of knowing from whom you have learned them. Continue in what you know. Continue in the foundation of the scriptures that you have learned. I, as I said, those weird teachings of making animal noises or being drunk in the spirit or of, you know, discipleship ideas or anything else or the, the, the teaching the guy had that Jesus supposedly told him in his hospital room are not being taught anymore. But the truth of the word of God is going out on airwaves every day, is being listened to on the internet daily, is being taught in churches that are committed to the word of God. And he says this, and from childhood, you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. What is it that you need? The holy scriptures that you have learned. There's so much in the word of God. And I, I say this so often, but it's so true. There's so much in the word of God that you could spend the rest of your life pouring into the Bible and not learn it all. I was thinking about this earlier today. I've been teaching Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, 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 Wednesday, 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 just through the word of God, through the word of God. And we are still discovering things in God's word as we gather together. God is still revealing through the depths of his word. There's so much that's in here. We don't need what somebody says. Like I've got, I've gotten something new for you. I can tell you that there is a temptation. When you teach the word for 27 years, week by week, by week, by week, by week, there's a temptation to go, I've got something new for you. I've gained insight that I've never had before. And here it is. It's amazing. But if I were to do that, it would be something that would fade away where God's word remains. If I were to do that, I would give you guys something that wouldn't help you instead of something that can really help you and change your life, which is God's word. And so verse 16, all scripture is given by the inspiration of God. People today are questioning whether or not the word of God is, is true. 
All scripture is given by the inspiration of God. The word inspiration means breathed. It means God is the one who, who, who did it. What do we mean? We mean that the writers of the Bible, and I forget how many writers there are. There's 66 books, various different writers, various different places over a 1,500-year period. And God breathed into them and in their own personalities and in their hand and in their own style, they wrote down the word of God, which God gave them. And God inspired it. He breathed it to them. And then it was given to us. The Bible says in Psalms that God preserved his word from generation to generation, meaning that his word was given and then God preserved it to us so that you and I can have confidence that what we have in the pages of the Bible is true. Now, there are certain books that have been left out. These are brought up from time to time. You can watch a program on the History Channel, the left out books of the Bible. If you wonder why they, they were left out, if you go, well, well, who left them out? Why were they left out? The first thing that you need to do is read them. And you'll know why they're left out. They don't fit. They're not the same. It becomes obvious that even though this was written over a 1,500-year period on different continents by different people there's, and, and different styles, there's a unity to the Word of God. There's an amazing unity to the Word of God. In fact, it's so amazing that it was accused for years that it had been tampered with, that we'd gone in and take certain things out and change certain things to make it look like there was unity when there really wasn't unity. Until 1947, they found the Dead Sea Scrolls and every book of the Old Testament was represented in those Dead Sea Scrolls. And they were able to go back and compare uh, stuff that was hidden 2,000 years ago to what we have today. And they suddenly found nobody tampered with it. Ones that had been accused to be added in, like they used to accuse, say, well, you know, the virgin birth. It didn't really say that in the original book of Isaiah that was added in. But you know what they found? It was in there. You know, the first book that they found in the Dead Sea Scrolls was a 100% copy of the book of Isaiah. The very first one. I think that was by accident. It's a book of Isaiah that tells us that the Messiah would die for our iniquities. It's the book of Isaiah that tells us that unto us a son is given, unto us a child is born, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. That was in the original. People had said, well, that's added in. Christians got the idea that the Messiah was going to be God, and so they added that in. Until later on, they found out that they didn't. And then when you go to the, the list of pseudofigrias, you say, well, why aren't certain books in the, in the Bible? Well, a lot of times because they weren't written by who they were said they were written by. The Gospel of Thomas, not written by Thomas. So we wouldn't put it in the Bible if it's not written by him. Most of the books that were accepted by the Gnostics that are rejected by Christians, that critics say, we kept them out of there, were written 300 years after the fact. And even though there are professors who will try to claim that most of the New Testament was written 300 years after the fact, we have proof that it wasn't. Actual passages that were, are within 25 to 30 years from when they were first written. All scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. What do I believe? Well, I, I studied the scriptures to know what I believe. I'm not interested in schools of thought. I'm not interested in theologies. I'm not interested in systems of theologies. And I like to say that if your theology goes against what the Bible says, then it's time to abandon your theology and study the word of God.
And our goal isn't to try to interpret it the way we want to interpret it. Our goal is to find out why God said what he said. What did he mean when he wrote it? People say, well, the Bible can be interpreted in all kinds of different ways. That's true. People interpret the Bible in all kinds of ways. But there's only one truth. There's only one reason that God wrote it. And when you read it in such a way to learn that truth, I believe it becomes evident. All scripture is given by the inspiration of God, is profitable for doctrine, for reproof and correction. God's word can correct us. We begin to believe things that are off. God's word comes back in and straightens us out. For instruction in righteousness. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. God's word gives us instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Complete. The man of God's complete. There's nothing that I need for life, for godliness, for living in the spirit that isn't in the pages of scripture. There's no new revelation. There's nothing that I need from anybody. There's no group. There's no organization. There's nothing that I need. I am complete. I said that one time and somebody said, yo, well, what about if you break your leg? It doesn't say in the Bible how to fix how to break your leg. Okay, if I break my leg, I need something else. I understand that. I'm talking about for life and godliness. I'm talking about for spiritual things. We don't need anything else but the Bible. If you want to learn about fusion, you probably need a textbook and someone to explain it. If you want to know how to live for God and for life and godliness, then everything that you need is in the pages of Scripture that the man of God might be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Lacking in nothing. Every good work, everything that God wants us to do, we become thoroughly equipped for it. There is a temptation to begin to listen to things that people come up with that are new. And that will always happen. Yet, like these two that opposed Moses, sooner or later, their folly will be revealed. Those false teachings will not be taught in the future. So why not hang on to that which is true, pour ourselves into God's word, and allow the riches of God's word to work within our hearts. Stand with me, would you? And let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you for the encouragement that Paul gives to Timothy. And we consider the last days. Perilous times are going to come. And Jesus told us that we needed to be careful because many deceivers were going to go out. Men are going to grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. And Lord, we want to be careful. We want to have discernment. And even if we don't have discernment, we know your word is discerning. And that if we stay true to what's in the pages of Scripture, that your Holy Spirit will not let us be deceived. And so we trust in your word. We thank you that you have given it to us. Lord, we want to read it, study it, meditate on it, pray over it, quote it to one another, partake of your word that we could grow, becoming the men and women you want us to be. Help us to not be those who would be caught up in other things that people bring, but just in you. And we thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living with Robert Furrow. 
We hope that our verse-by-verse studies truly help you to see that God is real. He wants a personal relationship with you, and His Word is life-changing. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, we invite you to join us at one of our two campuses. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or do you have questions about salvation? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com and don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson or Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living TV Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. on KGUN 9. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.